Alcohol Tipping Point is brought to you in partnership with Speak Studios and Speak Boise. Speak Boise is a community-driven studio space where voices from all walks of life can speak and be heard. You can find them on Instagram and Facebook at Speak Studios, Speak Boise, and at their website, speakstudios.com. Speak Studios, speak and be heard. This podcast is also brought to you by Instant Imprints. Promote better with Instant Imprints. Instant Imprints are Boise's visual communications experts and your place for everything you need to promote your business, club, school, or group. As a locally owned business, Instant Imprints specializes in making your organization more visible with custom branded apparel, embroidery, promotional items, print services, and wide format printing for signs, as well as banners and vehicle graphics. Want better ways to get noticed? Visit Instant Imprints at instantimprints.com slash Boise or call 208-IMPRINT. That's 208-467-7468. Attention Idaho and California residents. If you're shopping for a mortgage, contact PacFi, a mortgage brokerage with the top wholesale lenders in the nation. They are committed to simplifying the mortgage process, saving you time and money. Call 858-442-7048 or visit pacfi.com. NMLS number 1462943, Equal Housing Lender. Welcome back to the Alcohol Tipping Point Podcast. I'm your host, Debbie Maisner, and today I have a legend, I think, in the podcasting <laughs> and sober world. <laughs> it, this is Jill. Jill, how do I say your last name? It's Teets. Jill Teets from Sober Powered. I'm so excited to have you here. Um Tell me a little bit about Sober Powered because it is one of the top podcasts um, and then finish your introduction about yourself. Yeah, thank you for for that intro. Wow. Um, so Sober Powered was something that started, I think, back when I first got sober. It was in November 2019, right before everything shut down. And it was the holiday season and um, working in like biotech, there's a lot of like happy hours at work and we go to bars and holiday parties and whatever. So I was being really social and around alcohol like right away. And sometimes I would come home and cry in my car a little bit, but I got through it and I would always just feel so proud of myself, like so proud. And then I just made that up one day. Like I felt powerful and like I finally believed in myself. And so that's kind of where the name came oh, from. Um, I love that. Yeah. So now I'm trying to get used to being social again. That's a little bit hard because I was in like a very safe bubble <laughs> for quarantine. And now that's ending. Yeah, it's interesting. So you just to go back, Jill, you are... Um, your regular day job has been a scientist. Your background is in biology, is that right, and chemistry? Yeah, so basically what I do is I make um, therapeutics that go on 
to either like become a drug or be tested in clinical trials. Okay. So strong clinical scientist background. Yes. Okay. And then you, you got sober started sober powered, which is a podcast. Um, and then a YouTube channel as well, right? Yeah, so I started the YouTube um, basically a full year after I started the podcast. That was hard for me to do video and, like, I don't know, put my face out there. Like, a, a voice that no one knows what you look like while you're speaking is much easier than people watching you. That was very intimidating for me. Yeah, it feels safer. Okay. <laughs> Definitely. So, so that's kind of just a background for new listeners about Jill. Um, and so what, what was your experience with alcohol like? Yeah, so my very first drink was when I was 18. I was on a cruise with my family, and we were, uh, we were going to Bermuda. And so the drinking age is 18 in Bermuda. So I it was perfectly legal for me to have a drink if I wanted to. And I also had my parents' permission. So I got a glass of wine on the cruise and I was hanging out with my brother. Um, and I got like the tiniest flutter of a buzz, I guess. And I felt instant shame. I felt so horrible about myself and I thought that I was like bad and all these things. And I started lecturing my brother, like, please promise me you'll never drink. Like whatever you do, don't do this. This is so bad. But I had like half a glass of my low. Um, and it was crazy and I wasn't actually doing anything wrong. And then I didn't drink during college at all. And I only started drinking uh, when I went to graduate school because everybody else did it and I really wanted to fit in and I wanted everybody to like me and I thought if I was the only one not drinking like why would they like me why would they want to hang out with me so I started drinking and ordering like what a friend was getting because I didn't even know like what to drink um but as soon as I got that first buzz <laughs> Then I understood why everybody was doing it. And then it was just, it was immediately like a thing. There was no gradual descent into destruction. It was just like, it was a problem right away. And the very first time that I went out, um, like really to go out into the city and like party with my friends, I got so drunk. There were so many shots. I was unfortunately on a first date and this poor guy just like took care of me while I threw up in the parking garage for like an hour. It was horrible. Um, and then that was just the theme of my drinking. I had no control. I could not stop once I started and I was always like getting sick or humiliating myself in some kind of way. And then I would shame myself, hate myself afterwards and, yeah, it was a mess, but it started right away. There was never, I never drank normally. Um, so I have no idea what that feels like for regular people. Yeah. I mean, that is so interesting to me that you, you your first drink when, was when you were 18 and it was legal and you felt so shamed and bad because I'm, I'm guessing you're like a rule follower. Is that where that? Oh, I love rules. 
Okay. <laughs> so for yeah. you, is that what was going on on that cruise ship when you were 18? Yeah, it's weird. And I've thought about it a lot. I've talked to my therapist about it. Um, I think I just associated the, not so much drinking, but the buzz part of it, like the drunk part. I associated that with being bad. Like Mm. if you get drunk, you are bad. And yeah, and that's where the shame came from. Like when I first started drinking that glass of wine, it was fine. I was like, oh, this tastes nice and I feel like a cool girl. And But then as soon as the buzz came on, like it switched and I felt really, really ashamed. And yeah, that's what I would continue to do for the seven years that I drank. Every time that I got drunk, I would shame myself and hate myself and, and say all these horrible things to myself. But if I didn't get drunk, I wouldn't do that. It was like, if you're drunk, you're bad. Got it. Yeah. And then when you did, when you did start drinking heavily in grad school, it was to fit in. And um, you sounds like you went from zero to a hundred. <laughs> Just <laughs> I did. Yep. <laughs> okay. And so, and and you said that went on for like seven years. Is that right? Yes, I drank, uh, I started drinking at 22, and then I finally stopped at 29, and yeah, I noticed it was a problem, like, when I was 24, I started noticing, um, so I became a daily drinker, like, almost right away, Mm -hmm. and um, I drank because I was stressed, and alcohol makes stress go away, and that's what everybody does, they drink when they're stressed, and by the time I was 24, my tolerance had doubled. And that's what made me realize, like, maybe this is kind of a thing. And that's when I started thinking, like, I need to cut back. I should moderate. <laughs> I should try to drink less, but still drink every day. And, yeah, so 24 started, like, all the craziness. But I didn't think I was doing anything wrong until then. I was just, like, drinking every day and getting drunk all the time. Mm-hmm. And not even going through enjoying it. No, I enjoyed like the first couple of hours mm-hmm. because it's fun and you feel cool. Like a big part of drinking for me, I was a wine drinker and I believed that um, working professionals would go work their impressive job all day and then they would come home and they would share a bottle of wine together and every day and that's what classy um like sophisticated people did and so I would go to wine tastings and I learned about like all these wines and and I just really connected it with like your I don't know your class level as a person and that was hard to break um, because now, like, I can't do wine tastings, obviously. So a lot of it was, like, the image, like, what drinking kind of made me seem like uh, for the first couple of hours. And then once you get sloppy and drunk, then it's just, like, embarrassing. And then you're hungover, which is embarrassing. And <laughs> so, yeah, only, like, a small percentage of it is actually enjoyable. Yeah, yeah. So what, what helped you get sober? What was that journey for you? Yeah, that was really hard. So I started seriously questioning myself 
when I was 27, so three years into attempting to moderate, and I went to a therapist and I said, I'm worried that I might be an alcoholic. How do I know? And she asked me to do a week with no alcohol and then, you know, we can see. So I didn't drink. It was the first time I'd even skipped a day. So I didn't drink for the week. And then we decided that since it wasn't like too much of a challenge, I must not be an alcoholic. But I was very motivated by not wanting to be an alcoholic. That's why I didn't drink for the week. So, yeah. So then I just kept on going. I was like, okay, not an alcoholic. I'm fine. And then as I got older, I started to have like a lot of mental health problems pop up. I got really bad anxiety and then all the self-hatred over the years kept getting worse and worse and worse and it became suicidal thoughts and those got really scary so um I one night after like just some random Saturday I just got like super drunk started at brunch and never stopped and I kept myself awake all night long like thinking all these really scary things And I decided that I was going to do 90 days sober. And it wasn't because, like, I thought that's a good place to start. Um, It was because I thought that was the magic number to cure my drinking and make me drink normally. Mm -hmm. So the suicidal thoughts disappeared. The anxiety disappeared. I even got a tattoo when I realized, like, the suicidal thoughts were connected to my problem drinking. But I still thought I could be cured. So after the 90 days, I started drinking again. And I moderated for two months for the first time ever. Like, even when I started drinking, I never moderated. So then I was really convinced I was cured until we went on a vacation. And then I was drinking every day on the trip because you should. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to, you know, this image that drinking projects. And when I came home, I was right back to normal. There was no, like, there was no slow change. So then I had to go through the same thing again, the suicidal thoughts, the really scary nights. And then that finally, like, made me realize if, if you drink, this is how you will feel. And I just, like, linked them together. And so I guess the whole thing was acceptance. I accepted that for me, drinking makes me suicidal no matter what. Yeah. And that was enough to kind of click this, like flip the switch for you. Yeah. I know it's not for a lot of people, which makes me feel really sad that they go on feeling this way and it evolves and they might, attempt something that doesn't work and then that shocks them out of it but the realization that I could do something um like on those thoughts was really really scary because my husband will go away sometimes for motorcycle trips or like work stuff so sometimes I am alone yeah and whenever I was alone that's when I would like really party because I could drink however I wanted to drink And yeah, I just got so scared that something really bad could happen to me. And that was enough, thankfully. Yeah. And, and I don't know the stats and maybe you do, but I think the um, number of completed suicides uh, related to alcohol is alarmingly high. 
Yeah, I forget the percentage of suicides that had alcohol in their system. Mm-hmm. I think it was like a third. That might not be correct, but um, but I do know that abusing alcohol and like having a problem increases your risk of suicide by like a hundred something percent. Um, so there's a huge connection between like having a problem and and then feeling suicidal because of it. Yeah, definitely. And and so when you flip that switch, um, were, were you able to, did you just, you were like, I'm done. Like you had a last drink and you were done? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was just done. Um, I So my husband was with me when I made the decision. So I, I had kept both of us up the entire night with really bad anxiety, really scary thoughts. And then I just, I don't know. I just said to him, I can never drink ever again. And I didn't um, because I think I really understood what it meant if I did drink. It meant some really like scary stuff. And I wouldn't have believed it without that 90 days off. Because as soon as I took those 90 days off, I didn't feel that way anymore. All of that bad stuff like disappeared. I didn't feel suicidal. And I realized like it wasn't me that was feeling that way it was alcohol influence on me um so yeah that was very very powerful yeah that um that's amazing and now how long ago was that that was 21 months ago so I'll be two years sober in November that's congratulations thank you yeah it's crazy to think um, two years is coming up. Like, yeah. I feel like I just celebrated one year. Yeah. Um, so then you started sober powered. Um, and it, from what I've listened to and heard, like the podcast really talks about the biological effects of alcohol and, um, just really sets a lot of the science straight. What would you say is like some of the top things you've uncovered about alcohol in your body? I think my favorite thing that I ever learned is that alcohol doesn't feel the same for everybody. Um, So my whole motivation behind even learning this stuff was to see if I was actually like a bad loser. And Mm -hmm. I couldn't understand why, like, my husband still drinks. He he can drink, and it's not a problem for him. And I couldn't understand why he wouldn't want to drink a thousand drinks and why he would, like, leave half a beer behind. Like, isn't beer the most amazing feeling? Like, why don't you want to drink it all the time? And I discovered one day that alcohol doesn't feel the same way for everybody. For some people, it feels like fine. And for other people like me, it's the best thing that has ever happened in my life. And my brain goes crazy for it. And like all different areas of the brain like light up and get excited. And that's not the case for everybody. So if alcohol is not the best thing ever for you, why would you want to drink it all the time and like chase the buzz and give up your whole life? So that was really validating. I think I like things that validate my experience and that this wasn't my fault. So that was definitely the best one. Yeah. Could you talk a little bit more about how it is different? Because my sister's like that. She's like, meh, 
or she'll just like <laughs> nurse a glass of alcohol and I'm yeah. just giving her like the stink eye. <laughs> like you gonna finish that? Um but yeah, she's so like meh. What what makes her different and me? I'm like you, like uh one is not enough and a thousand isn't either. So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, those jerks, right? Um so there's a lot that's going on, but something cool that I read is about endorphins. So endorphins make us feel good and happy and pleasurable. And endorphins trigger the release of dopamine, which we all know is linked to um, addiction. So not everybody has the same like baseline levels of endorphins. And just like some people will struggle with depression and other people won't. Some people have just naturally low levels of endorphins. And what one study found is that when those people had alcohol, their levels of endorphins shot up like way above baseline. And for people that had pretty average levels of endorphins, they just had a flat line. Like there was no change in their endorphin levels at all. So what that says to me is like, it doesn't feel like, woohoo, like this mm. is fantastic. I can't believe how amazing this is. I'm so happy. It doesn't feel like that for maybe my husband and your sister because their endorphin levels are average and stay average. But for other people, they're really low in alcohol. It doesn't just like fix it and bring us to normal. It shoots us up way above normal. So we feel like even more amazing. Um, and then I think the other main thing is like how you process alcohol. So my husband, when he drinks, he gets really tired after, and he's very susceptible to hangovers. And I, I was susceptible to hangovers, but while I was drinking, I only felt amazing. I would never feel tired or like start getting a headache or anything. I only felt great. And I probably process alcohol a little bit better than he does. And if you process it better, then you don't like accumulate any negative feelings until the next day. So how you feel while you drink also impacts how much you drink. Oh, I get it. Yeah. Cause sometimes at night it'd be like, I'm so tired. I'm, but then I'd have a drink and, and then that would keep <laughs> me up for most of the night. Yeah, yeah, and that's real too. Alcohol is actually energizing. It provides your brain with fuel. So that's a real feeling. Yeah, so interesting. What what were some other interesting facts about alcohol that you would highlight? Um, I think what I'm trying to learn about now is how all different parts of the brain like communicate with each other. So there's one part that is called the periaqueductal gray. Um, it's abbreviated PAG. And this is a part of the brain that like senses danger and tells you like if you need to escape it. Um, and it's linked to compulsive drinking, and it's also linked to, like, relapse and drinking to, like, feeling that you need to escape your life and feeling, like, having more urgency around that. So where somebody might have the same stressor as you, 
they can handle it better, but because you have this like hyped up need to escape because alcohol is like damaging this area of the brain, it'll make you feel more overwhelmed and like crazy and like you can't feel this way anymore. So you drink and calm yourself down. Um, and then like areas of the brain that, that control like how we view negative consequences and like if we can actually make connections with them and understand them. So if those areas of the brain are impacted by alcohol, then you really only see the positives. And like, even though you recognize the negative consequences that are happening, like it doesn't really matter that much to you. So yeah, now I'm just trying to understand like, I think more complex, like why, why can we not stop? Like, why do we want a thousand drinks? Yeah, it's it's so interesting, um, and I I've been reading a bit more about the brain too, and just the fact that like we know so much more about the brain in the last what twenty three years than all the years prior to that is that true because of like all the advanced scanning and technology? Yeah, technology has definitely made an impact on like what we can figure out because we're able to see more in experiments and like actually look at the brain and, and like we can tag specific neurons now and like watch what happens to them or you can tag the actual alcohol and like follow it through the body. So yeah, definitely more sophisticated um, techniques and more sophisticated like instruments and ways of viewing the data has made a big impact in what we can find out. And, and what was also um, promising to me is just that, you know, they used to think that we couldn't change our brains, that they were just mm -hmm. like concrete and really we can change our brains. Yeah, that is such an important point. Um, yeah, so we always thought like you grow up and your brain finishes developing and then, you know, you get what you get. But just like our brain adapted to alcohol, it can adapt back the other way. So all the problems that alcohol cause, they're not just like permanent brain damage. You can adapt back and the brain can heal and like different parts of the brain will heal better than others. But generally the brain can heal completely or almost completely as long as there was no permanent damage like alcoholic neuropathy or, or some kind of condition like that but yeah the brain can really recover which is exciting yeah it's so pro because I think that kind of kept people from not change like well what's the point I screwed yeah. myself anyway <laughs> good yeah um, I might as well enjoy it yeah right <laughs> um and so you have a course out now about emotional sobriety can you explain what emotional sobriety is? Yeah, so when we stop drinking, we think, like, that's it. We did it. We're good. That's the thing. But we drink for a reason, like, whether you see it in the beginning or not. And I was one of the people that didn't see it in the beginning. I thought I was just drinking because I liked the taste. I wanted to be fancy. It's what you're supposed to do. But there, there were reasons behind it. And when you don't learn how to like handle your life, you're always going to be triggered to drink or you might pick up another like, 
problem like sugar or emotional eating, um, gambling, like any kind of other transfer addiction type of thing. So that's kind of my whole purpose with this course is to help people learn how to manage their emotions so they don't have to go backwards to drinking or so they don't have to rely on willpower, which we know doesn't work Mm -hmm. and is miserable and, or they don't have to switch over to sugar. Um, yeah. And there's like a lot of cool studies that have found that the ability to manage your emotions can make the difference between staying sober or relapsing like multiple times. Yeah, that makes sense, especially if you were using it um, as a coping mechanism, because it Mm -hmm. is pretty useful for numbing out any emotion at the time. (laughs) And then you have to deal with all the feelings after you get sober. Yep, and they all come back really strong Mm -hmm. and unexpected, and all your problems probably got worse while you were putting them off. Yeah, it's interesting. I I feel like everything's like so much easier to handle and yeah. um, so much clearer. But um, just really learning to sit with uncomfortableness, to sit in pain, whatever that pain is, whether it's like anxiety or fear or whatnot, um, because you know it it will go away as eventually, as opposed to numbing it with alcohol. Yeah, exactly. And I've seen that difference in my own life. I just, it will go away and believing that and finding healthy ways to deal with things can save you like weeks of suffering. Because I used to like have a problem and drink about it for weeks and, and like maintain that overwhelm and like level of anger and stress where now it goes away like a thousand times faster. Oh, I like that you said you drink about it instead of like think about it but you were really not even <laughs> thinking about it you were drinking about yep. it Love yeah that. I used to drink at people too that was my other thing. what do you mean by like drink at people yeah so if someone at work um like did something or criticized me and made me feel bad I would drink like because of them so mm. I drink at the person or Got like it. if I had a fight with my husband like I would drink at him yeah totally oh um doesn't help I know newsflash <laughs> doesn't <laughs> solve anything it makes it worse um what would you say are like your top tips for anyone looking to change their relationship with alcohol I think what helped me the most is changing what I did. So I would just sit around and drink and watch TV every day, or I would go to a bar and sit there and drink. And when you remove the drinking, you're just sitting, doing nothing. Mm-hmm. And that's really triggering. So I, I wouldn't even go in the same room of my house. Like I spent my whole first month sitting in a different room, like reading books, or um, I organized my house, like I did all these other things, instead of just sitting around watching TV. So that could be like taking an exercise class or reading or going to a meeting or like taking a pottery class or just doing anything else than what you were doing while you were drinking, because that's only going to make you feel like a void that you miss drinking. 
Um, so I think that's my biggest tip. I think also getting support. I think a lot of us will write off meetings or therapy because like we don't need that. We can do it on our own and we make all these judgments about them before even trying it. And it's really hard to do by yourself. Like not, not everybody shares my experience where I was like shocked out of it. And that was enough in the beginning. And I ended up getting support anyways. I go to therapy every week and I attend meetings on Sundays. So I think like not being afraid to try something at least once. And if it sucks, you never have to do it again. But I think just trying to get support helps. And sometimes like books and Facebook groups aren't enough and that is totally okay. Um, and then I think my last tip is to work on accepting your drinking for what it was. So I was always like under the belief that I could learn to moderate if I just like practiced stopping enough, it would become something that I could do naturally. And then when I finally like got shocked out of everything, and accepted that I will never drink any other way, that is why I think I'm still sober. And and even when I have triggers or I feel um, like sad or nostalgic or envious of drinkers, I can still look at it for what it is. Like the truth is that I only drink in this really horrible, miserable way and I can never drink any different way. So I just don't drink because of that. So I think working on like, really looking at your drinking for what it actually is and not what you hope that it will be someday or what it used to be like just seeing what it really is and like looking at the facts and the data yeah powerful um what 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 are your plans for the future i don't know this is so hard um I love to plan, so I make a thousand plans, but I think someday I would like to be like a full-time podcaster and YouTuber, um, and yeah, and just help people and maybe make some more courses, or I would love to be an author. That's been a lifelong dream, but I think just doing sober stuff and helping people is the dream. And also traveling the world. That's a personal Ooh, personal goal. Yes. I'd like to go all over the place when we can. Uh, yes, ditto. I miss travel. Well, that kind of makes me yeah. think um, about, like, how, how much has your life changed? And how has it changed since you did quit drinking? Oh, it changed in every way. Um, I went from very miserable, immature, um, probably very hard to be around person who had no hobbies or friends or goals um, to now like someone who helps other people and like puts other people first. Um, my house is clean. Like there's little things like I wash my face every day. Like, what is that? (laughs) And, um, I actually like who I am. I think that was one of the biggest things that I didn't expect. 
I I like who I am and I consistently have. And yeah, I'm able to do like anything I want, basically. If I want to do it badly enough, I can figure out how to do it. And I have time to pursue my dreams. And, and yeah, and I have, like, I got a much better job in sobriety, even though it was like the same type of job. Um, now I'm working at a company that is in the news a lot and yeah, and doing really cool stuff and like getting recognized and yeah, it's just changed in every way. Marriage is better. Um, everything was bad and now everything is better <laughs> to summarize it. Yeah. I mean, all fantastic and, and so valuable for people to hear that, like, and even if it wasn't like horrible for some people who are like, well, my life's not that bad. Like, but it can be so <laughs> much better. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. fabulous. Um, yeah. We can all get to the point where it's horrible, but maybe you're not there yet. Doesn't mean that not drinking wouldn't benefit you. Yeah. Even if you're, even if you're a meh drinker, you could even take <laughs> it out of your life and have benefits. Exactly. Yeah, my husband has been drinking less since I've been sober, and he has a lot of benefits, and he doesn't even have a problem. So it could benefit anybody. Yeah, totally. Is there anything um, that I should have asked but didn't? I think that we covered it. I think you bringing up how our brains can adapt was really important, so I'm glad that you... That's something that I should have remembered to say, but so I'm glad that you brought that one up. Oh, yeah. I, I, I'm just like, you can change. Anybody can change. And mm-hmm. I just, that to me is such like a hopeful feeling. Like anyone is possible of changing. Anyone. Yeah. If you want it badly enough and you're willing to be uncomfortable during the process of changing, you can change. You cannot do it, whatever you want. Yeah. And I mean, you might have to feel a little bit of pain and uncomfortableness, but the reward is so much pleasure. Exactly. Oh, well, thank you so much, Jill, for coming on the podcast. I really, really appreciate it. Um, tell, tell the listeners how they can find you. Yeah, so if you search for Sober Powered, you can find me. Um, that's my website, my Instagram, my podcast, my YouTube. Um, yeah, and you can reach out to me. Um, you can DM me or something if you have any questions about anything that I said. Yeah, and then a little plug. You have your, your course, your emotional sobriety course, which is called Take Your Power yeah, Back, right? Called- yeah, take your power back. Um, so that is available. That's always available. And I have a bunch of free emotional sobriety content on my website as well. So um, I have like a video, a couple podcast episodes, a free ebook. So there's a bunch of stuff if you want to get started on your journey. That's great. Well, thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. And we'll yeah, thank you for having me. Welcome. Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Alcohol Tipping Point. I'm always here for you guys, so please feel free to reach out and talk to me on Instagram at Alcohol Tipping Point. 
and check out my website, alcoholtippingpoint.com. Again, I hope you can use these tips we talked about for the rest of your week. And until then, see you next time.